afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Been a minute. Talked to you five games ago, which was like 20 minutes ago, but still. Not the best of weekends for the Toronto Blue Jays when I left you Thursday. Things looked bright for a little while. Jays win the first of the series. They win the second of the series. And then everything unravels. Uh, Kevin Gosman gets hit with a line drive. Get deep into the bullpen in the first game of a doubleheader. The bats don't really come around. Thomas Hatch allows infinite runs in the second game of the doubleheader. And then the final game of the series, the rubber match, 2-2 on Sunday. Russ Stripling and Trent Thornton unravel a little bit in the fifth. And then the Jays load the bases down four in the bottom of the ninth with only one out. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Swings at a strike three that he had just laid off one pitch before in almost the exact same spot. And then Alejandro Kirk has a very uncharacteristic strikeout. Uh, not a very competitive at bat for him with the chance to extend the game. So the Jays lose three of five to the Tampa Bay Rays. Not great. That's a division rival. That's a division rival that's fighting with you for wild card spot. That's a division rival who came in uh, not looking their best. They'd been struggling, especially at the plate. Lots of injuries if you were ever going to take advantage of the Rays, that was the time. And maybe you write off the McClanahan game as a as a potential schedule loss there. But no reason you couldn't have taken three, maybe even four in this one. And now you're only half game up on them. You also missed an opportunity to gain some ground and maybe even jump Boston again. Those three teams now separated by just one game in the American League East and in the wild card. Those are your three wild card teams right now. Missed opportunity. And a lot of it falls on the pitching. Uh, you only got 22 innings out of your five starters, which obviously isn't going to cut it. They had a 645 ERA. The bullpen actually held in okay with a 397 ERA over the course of the series, um, but you didn't really get into the high leverage parts. On the bright side, you'll probably have Jordan Romano, Tim Meza, and um, Adam Simber available today because you didn't really need them because you weren't competitive enough in those last couple games. Uh, but the starting pitching undid you. And while you had a pretty decent offensive weekend, about 30% better than league average over the course of the series, you also stranded 36 runners over five games, which is, uh, you know, about 15% more than you'd normally expect uh, league-wide. So there is a lot to unpack, and I think most of you probably want to talk about the bullpen or potential starting pitching additions ahead of the early August trade deadline. So we're going to do that. You can keep, you can send texts in to five ninety five ninety throughout the show. Uh, we got a little space for them later and I'll, I'll sprinkle them in with our guests too. Uh, we'll talk to Melissa Lockhart a little later uh, about the Oakland athletic side of things about Frankie Montes, who the Jays actually miss in this series. Uh, he's day to day right now. The Jays are instead going to run into Irvin Martinez and Caprillion. Uh, not exactly uh, not exactly the New York Yankees rotation there. Uh, the Jays will counter with Manoa, Kikuchi, and Barrios. Um, we'll also talk to Ben Shulman, who, in addition to doing the Odd Jays game for us on the Sportsnet Radio Network and hosting the Locked on Jays podcast, is doing some games for Global Jam this week. Uh, that's July 5th. That's tomorrow to 10th. Um, that is the basketball tournament, the under 23 men's and women's tournaments uh, that are going on here in Toronto this week, put on by Canada basketball and Sportsnet. 
And hey, while we're on the national team topic, I just ran into Eric Smith outside the studio. Uh, him and Paul Jones with the call for Canada's FIBA qualifier, the senior men's team against the U.S. Virgin Islands. That one starts uh, right after the show ends at 5 o'clock. So keep, uh, keep an ear out for that. Keep an eye out for that. Um, before we get to those guests, though, we're joined by Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic. Caitlin, how did you enjoy your five-game in 70-hour weekend? It was a lot of baseball, I'll tell you that. Sure was. Uh, <laughs> uh, long day on Saturday for sure. Um, gosh, I don't even know what time I got to the ballpark, but um, it felt like, you know, you spend your morning, your afternoon, and your evening there. Saturday night baseball is not something we have here very commonly. Um, but, yeah, no, a lot of baseball, perhaps even too much baseball. I, I hesitate to say that, but it felt like too much baseball. <laughs> There's uh there's no such thing, uh, but maybe that was such a thing in this case. Um, so it, it probably would have felt better too. Like if they win all five, it seems like the perfect amount of baseball. Uh, they did not. That was a pretty depressing Saturday. Let's start with just a tiny bit of good news, Caitlin. Before we get it, before we start picking apart some of the negatives, um, Danny Jansen and Jimmy Garcia starting a rehab assignment in Buffalo today. Yeah, that's good news, obviously, to hear. I think uh, Jimmy Garcia threw a bullpen not too, a few days ago, um, and I think the reports from that were that it was it went well. So um, knowing that he's going to come back soon um, is good for the Blue Jays because obviously the bullpen has been worked a lot lately, and missing him for that sort of setup role um, it seems to have really um, affected the Blue Jays, I think. And obviously Danny Jansen, um, with the bat, he's been excellent when he's been in the lineup. And I think it is, um, you know, I don't like to say that you know, the other two catchers are doing a good job is what I should say. But I think that there's um, a level of experience that Danny brings um, to the pitching staff that I think is missed right now. Um, and so getting him back in the mix will be good as well. It definitely will be. And, you know, they have some decisions to make. When those guys come back, certainly easier on the Jimmy Garcia side than the uh, the catcher side. Um, we'll see how that shakes out in the coming days. We'll keep an eye on those. Um, so that's your positives. Everything else is terrible, Caitlin. Um, they blow a chance to they, – they get up two games in the series. Uh, they blow a chance to not only win the series but maybe take a big chunk out of Tampa Bay. Um, of everything that played out in that two and three series – what was the most disappointing element to you? Um, yeah, I think I don't even know if it's disappointing. If anything, it's just sort of like eye-opening um, how thin their starting rotation depth is. Like when you saw Gosling go down, obviously, luckily, he avoided the worst in that situation, um, just ending up with an ankle contusion as opposed to a broken ankle or a broken bone in the foot. But just kind of imagining losing Kevin Gosling from this rotation for any extended amount of time, it would be, it would almost completely or it would significantly seem like it would derail their season um, or it would have the potential to do that. Um, he has been so huge for them um, at the top of the rotation, Alec Manoa as well. But then after them, you have Barrios, who's kind of struggled. Kikuchi, who's kind of struggled. Um, obviously, both of them had good starts their last outings, but I don't know that you're in a position to say you're out of the woods with either of those two because they've just been so up and down. And Ross Stripling's been excellent um, stepping in for Hunter Ryu. Obviously, you've gotten the best you can hope for out of him, but 
he was supposed to be your depth guy, and now he's in the rotation. He is one of your guys. And I think we saw in the second game Saturday, Thomas Hatch, you know, I'm not ready to say that that's who he is. I think it was just a really, really rough outing um, and in a kind of rough 24-hour period for the Blue Jays. Um, so I think that, you know, he could still have an opportunity potentially. He could still be useful, maybe in a shorter role, maybe in a bullpen role. I'm not sure what they would do with him. But certainly didn't give you a ton of confidence what you saw from him against the Rays in the sense of, like, if he's your next guy or one of your next guys um, when someone goes down, uh, you know, that could be some trouble, right? So I think for me, um, my big takeaway from the weekend was uh, the starting pitching needs to be shored up a little bit uh, at the deadline. I'm not sure you need to go out and get uh, an ace, although, um, you know, you you can have that option. Not that there's many aces sort of on the market this year, but um, I think that you just need some support back there, some depth, someone that can give you innings. Um, You know, you need another, like, Ross Stripling type. If Ross Stripling's in your rotation, you need another guy that could do what he does so well, which is go back and forth, handle multiple innings, in a bullpen role and be that depth that you really need. So we're going to talk about some of those potential trade options in just a minute here. But um, first of all, on the Gosman front, do we have a, a sense yet of whether Thursday in Seattle is reasonable to expect or um, are we potentially looking down another Thomas Hatch start there? Well, I don't, it's interesting because they've obviously optioned Hatch. So Oh, right. He, but he can to, come back up if it's an injury. So. Yeah, so if it's an injury, that but then the, sort of the question mark there with the Blue Jays is if it's an injury with Kevin Gosman, so you have to put him on the IL, uh, which is 15 days for pitchers. Um, so if you think he's only going to miss one start, I don't think you would want to IL him. Um, and then I think at that point you're almost going with a full bullpen day and asking like Trent Thornton maybe to start um, and go out from there. Uh, to answer your initial question, though, I think it's still up in the air. Um, I think there was some sort of optimism around, well, optimism in the sense that he didn't break his foot. I think everyone was grateful for that. Um, and there was some level of, he's going to kind of see how it feels. They haven't ruled him out, I guess. is That's what the takeaway is. It's not an absolute no. I don't think it's an absolute yes yet. And I think you want to be careful because the last thing you want is him going out there on a sore foot and, you know, he trips up and he hurts his knee or he, you know, he's overcompensating and he hurts his arm. Like, you don't want that to happen. So if you have to have a bullpen day, um, maybe you hope in this scenario that you're playing the A's for the first three games. The A's are not a very good team. Maybe you're hoping your starters get through, get deep in those games in that series. Um, and so if you do have to um, not start Kevin Gosman, maybe your bullpen's kind of fresh for that opening game against Seattle, and then maybe Kevin Gosman only just misses that one start. So at this point, it's up in the air. I don't know what the plan B would be because they've also optioned Castillo recently too. So he couldn't be called up unless there's an injury. Maybe there's another injury that happens with the bullpen. Maybe they can do something. So always, I always say these things, and then they find a way. You know, there's always front, someone in the front office knows a workaround to get someone on the roster when they need to. There's <laughs> always a way. There's always a way. But just thinking aloud here, like, if they had to cover for Kevin Gosman with a bullpen day, I think they could do it if they were in a good position following the A series, you know, assuming their starters pitch deep into those games, which against an A's offense, you would hope that they can. You would hope so. This is a, an A's offense that's dead last by a good margin in offense over the last 30 days and second to last on the season against right-handed pitching. So, yeah, you you better hope that that's the case and you can go in with kind of a, 
better rested bullpen. So that's a, that's some great insight, Caitlin, onto what happens if Gosman can't make that start. Now, let's say there's a scenario where he does hit the IL. Do you have any, like, it's, it's going to sound worse, I realize, but, um, you know, whether it's Hatch or Lawrence or, or Max Castillo or something like that, um, you, you would imagine that they don't want to do bullpen days three times through, and I think they only have one off day in the next 15 days. Um, so, well, I guess you'd hit the, you'd hit the all-star break by the mm-hmm. tail end of that, um, but you'd still probably be looking at two starts then instead of just the one. Yeah, yeah, and again, like the the All Star break would give them a breather there. Um, I, you know, I think if you did have to IL Kevin Gosman, to me, it would more so come down to Castillo and Lawrence because if you were using the weekend as sort of a tryout or an addition, those are the two that came out on top. Um, and then Hatch, you know, you were thinking that he has a lot to work on um, before he can be a major league option again. Um, so I think those would be the two routes that you would go. I think maybe you'd lean towards Casillo um, just because maybe you want Casey Lawrence to still be that depth option if you need a guy to call be called up or, or whatnot. So um, that would be the route that you would go. Not ideal situation, um, but uh, yeah, if, if, if it, I guess the other silver lining, though, at this point is if Kevin Gosling is going on the aisle, it might only be missing those two starts. It's only going to be a 15-day thing. Um, the bruised foot is bad. I'm sure it hurts. I'm sure there's a lot of swelling, <laughs> and he's not, he's not comfortable right now. But it's, it's, if he's missing time, it's much closer to days than weeks uh, that would have happened if he had broken the foot, obviously. Okay. So, Caitlin, now we have to circle back to something you said earlier in our conversation, you said the Jays probably have to shore up their starting pitching. When you look at what's happened this year, before we get into potential targets, obviously Ryu goes down. That part is very tough and unexpected. Um, the struggles from guys is are not even relevant necessarily because they weren't, you know, those guys are going to be in the, in the rotation regardless. Um, and then maybe you can find your way to, well, the Nate Pearson stuff's unfortunate. And even if you maybe should have expected some of it, when you look at the lack of interesting AAA options they've had to turn to, whether as long men in the bullpen or um, for spot starts as needed, do you think something in the strategy has to shift for next year? Like, like how did they end up in a situation where uh, there just weren't major league ready arms at AAA? Yeah. I mean, I guess they were, putting a lot of stock into building um, what they thought was going to be a very durable rotation at the major league level. And the real thing was kind of unexpected. Um, and, but other than that, I mean, it does look like they've built a durable rotation. The, the Gavin Gosman thing was pretty freak, um, a comebacker coming right at you. That I guess could, is not necessarily to be expected, but I guess it's in the realm of possibility. Um, but uh, still I would categorize that as more of a freak incident as opposed to sort of an expected injury. Um, and so they still have built a pretty durable rotation. Um, you lose Ryu uh, and that um, made you lose your depth piece. But I mean, the thing that you look at at the system though, like there is a lot of exciting pitching coming down the pipe, mm-hmm. um, you know, down at the, the you know Vancouver, uh, New Hampshire level, like there's a lot of really exciting arms coming. So I'm not sure that this is going to be a long-term issue for the Blue Jays. Um, so I think that maybe that's how they thought about it. Maybe they thought, well, we've got a really 
good experience, pretty veteran rotation at the major league level. We've kind of got this gap uh, at the high upper levels of our minor league system, but then we've got all this exciting young stuff going on, um, you know, down towards the lower end of the minor league system. So I would think that they mostly were almost like betting on the fact that they could get through this major league system or uh, major league season, I should say, sorry, someone was knocking on my door. It threw me off. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's just the mail. I think I got a package. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, so I think they were probably just banking on like, we've signed all these guys that are fairly durable. Um, and I don't think that's a bad bet. And I, I think looking at it, like they have remained pretty healthy. The issue with the rotation has not really been health of it. It's just been guys inconsistent. So, I got a little distracted there too. I, I almost want to pivot and just do an unboxing with you live on the air where we can open it up. It's not something exciting. No. It's, it's yeah. Sorry. Unbelievable. Uh, okay. So that, that is, that's some good insight into, and I think that that probably holds for the bullpen as well, where they do have, you know, there's been a clear shift in wanting guys who miss bats out of the bullpen at lower levels and maybe getting guys into bullpen roles sooner. Um, I think what you're saying, though, is strap the rocket to Ricky Tiedemann. Let's see the 19-year-old jump three levels uh, to the majors. Um, so if we look around the trade market, Luis Castillo and Frankie Montes are the names that have come up the most. Are there other names that are a little closer to, say, a Ross Stripling level addition that your eyes are on over this next month? Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked, although Montas, I think just there's some question marks about him. He's getting an MRI on his yeah, arm he's, or something, he's right? Yeah, day-to-day right now, but yeah. yeah, he's not pitching in this series, and I think he's getting further evaluated early this week. Yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely some sort of options I think they, they could use to just, like, um, support their, the back end of their rotation. Quintana, um, Jose Quintana in, um, uh, with the Pirates, I think, is an, an interesting option, mm-hmm. I I haven't looked at his most recent numbers, but just looking back a couple of weeks ago, I think he was doing a good job of sort of like generating weak contact. He's certainly not going to be a strikeout guy, but neither is Ross Stripling. So if you were looking at something like that, obviously the Pirates, there's some history there with the Blue Jays with Ben Sherrington. Um, so you, maybe you would hope that you could work with them. And obviously they're a rebuilding club and, and they would probably have some people in the Blue Jay system that they would have uh, their eyes on. Mike Miner with the Reds. I know he was not pitching very well. Um, and again, I haven't looked at his most recent stats. I think he would be a guy that the Reds would certainly be shopping around. Um, I think this is his last deal, year of his deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if he's a guy that could just eat up some innings for you, he can be that depth option if you need it. Um, you know, I think there's um, Martin Perez in with the Rangers having a really good season. Rangers are an interesting team because it's like they're, I don't think that they're going to be a wild card team, but they can certainly talk themselves into thinking they could be a wild card team. And they spent um, like one. And they did spend like one. And I don't know what it says to the fan base if they are, you know, trading um, a pitcher who I think has been probably one of the better stories coming out of their team this year. So that is interesting. I would um, watch for that name as well, though he might maybe be a bit more of an expensive um, trade chip because he's been pitching well. But, you know, at I would give the Blue Jays some credit to they've in the past been pretty good at being sort of crafty with some deals. Not so much. I mean, last year was a good deal in getting Barrios, but that was sort of a frontline blockbuster. But if you go back to 2020, you think of the trade to get Ross Stripling 
or you think of getting Robbie Ray when he was really on a downward slope of his career, um, not pitching very well for Arizona at that time. And they weren't, that was a 2020 season, weird season, short season, all that stuff. Um, And then they got Taiwan Walker at that point too, who's really good for them in the second half. All those were kind of more creative deals. Didn't really cost an arm and a leg in any respects for them. Um, You know, I think they were, fairly measured um, trades, and they worked out really well. Uh, Look at Ross Stripling. I mean, he's been huge um, for the Blue Jays for the last couple of years. So this front office is certainly capable of doing those types of moves, and I always find those ones are harder to predict. The Burrios is moving. You can always kind of guess that that's going to happen, but those ones where you're, like, getting the depth guys, like, I'm not sure. Well, I guess there was that story in the offseason where Ross Stripling was, like, kind of traded, but then not. Um, but there's sometimes where you don't know certain guys are on the trade block, like a Robbie Ray with the Arizona. I don't know that he was necessarily a name that was like, you know, being talked about a lot because he was not pitching well, but the Blue Jays went out and, you know, it obviously got him. So this front office is pretty good at sort of identifying guys um, that they can, you know, capitalize on and work on. So it wouldn't surprise me if they make a trade that none of us saw coming. Yeah, that's interesting, especially because I do I like having the organizational philosophy of we can get guys maybe below how where we value them because we think we can fix them. Um, I feel less good about that while you're also working on multiple starting rotation pieces at the same time. Um, so it's a little it's a little tougher to be like. Ugh. For me, anyway, to be like, well, maybe you can tweak something with Mike Miner and he's okay. It's like, yeah, but he's got a six ERA. But also, this is what happens when you need to be shopping in the starting pitching market when you didn't think that that was going to be a thing. We entered this season thinking, well, left-handed bat that can hit higher up in the order and give you some help either first base DH or in a corner outfield. And now it's shifted to the bullpen and then it shifted to starting pitching options. Um, the bullpen's a little easier. So Caitlin, I, I won't read you all 50 of these names unless you really want me to. Um, but I looked for, I did like a little query for relievers on losing teams who throw a decent amount of velocity. Um, and then I put cutoffs in for strikeouts, swinging strike rate, chase rate, hard hit rate, um, and then some stat cast stats. And even with all those qualifiers, we still got 50 names, uh, yeah, 29 cool. of them, 29 of them who make less than a million dollars. So there are going to be ways to improve the bullpen. Um, I know I'm running long with you here, but is anyone at the top of your bullpen list or is there a specific skill or trait that you're looking for in a Jays bullpen edition? Well, I think that at least if, I think you would probably want to get two bullpen arms mm-hmm. just to sort of give yourself that insurance. And I think one of those has to be hard throwing swing and miss. I think the name that I've heard a lot and stands out to me is Daniel Bard with the Rockies. I don't know if he showed up on your query. I would assume so because he throws pretty hard. He does all those things. Uh, I think the Rockies are a losing team. If they're not a losing team, they're just a 500 team, but I feel like they're losing. Um, but he would be a name that I think would be good. Um, he, it's interesting because I guess, you know, he missed so much time in the midst midst of his career he's basically stopped playing that he's 37 I think or turning 37 but he throws really hard because he doesn't have as many miles on his arm that normal 37 year olds pitching in the major leagues do he's an interesting name and there is some history recent history with the Rockies and the Blue Jays making some trades that I think uh, were fair for both teams I haven't looked at Randall Gritchick's numbers but I'm gonna guess he's just been the Gritchick that he usually is um, and, you know, Tavia has been kind of a, a good complimentary piece for the Blue Jays. I think when they've been using him more selectively as opposed to earlier in the year where they had to use him a lot more and maybe he got exposed. But, um, you know, I think Daniel Mar- Bard's a name that 
seems realistic. Uh, he'll be a rental, I think, because it's um, I think he's not a free agent yet, or maybe he's a free agent after the season, or whatever it may be. Um, but he would probably be a somewhat inexpensive piece that I think would fit with the Blue Jays and kind of offer that experience that they need in their bullpen as well. And you know, that's a name. There's other names that I think they could go about. Um, Anthony Bass is not a strikeout guy, but he's been pitching well um, with the Marlins. Um, and again, there's some recent good trade history with the Marlins. Obviously, Adam Simber came over last year for them. So there's maybe a working relationship between uh, the Blue Jays and the Marlins that they could tap into as well. So those are some names just off the top of my head that I can list because there's just a lot, a lot of names out there that are floating out. But I'm sure your list has another uh great options on there as well yeah I, I don't know the thing is is like bad teams don't have a lot of good relievers so even though i put these filters on it and stuff and tried to come up with something creative it's still a lot of like uh really uh i like the names that you floated better there um certainly and by the way gritchick and tapia both have both have been worth Negative 0.6 wins above replacement for per fan graphs this year. So a perfectly even lose-lose trade. Uh, so you're right. <laughs> There's a good relationship there. Um, Caitlin McGrath, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I know there's a lot of West Coast baseball ahead this week, but try, try to get some rest coming off five in four days. Yes, I will. I will try and probably fall asleep on my couch or something. Don't forget that package at the door, though. I will go check it out. Okay, Caitlin McGrath, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you. It's Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Um, check out all her great work at The Athletic. She also wrote a, an informative and empathetic piece about um, Mark Budzinski's um, daughter and that situation from on the weekend. Our, our love and energy and thoughts go out uh, to the Budzinski family as well. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll, we'll keep it at The Athletic. We're going to talk to Melissa Lockard, who has the handle on most things A's, and particularly the A's minor league system, which is really relevant because not only does that minor league system have a lot of recent former Jays, because these two teams have made a lot of trades, it also might be helpful to know where the gaps are in their farm system and how the Jays might be able to fill those gaps were they to call about a Frankie Montes type. Maybe we're going to talk about out-of-the-park baseball too. I don't know. We'll talk to Melissa next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Alish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you had a nice long weekend. It's the Monday holiday in the United States, whereas we have the Friday holiday this weekend, which has meant there's been baseball on the TV all day, which has been great. Would have been great if the Jays had an afternoon game instead of the nine o'clock start. Um, but despite the holiday, joining us now from The Athletic, Melissa Lockard. Melissa, how are you? Thank you for taking time out on the 4th. Yeah, yeah, not, no problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Uh, happy to. Um, a fellow out-of-the-park baseball enthusiast, uh, I had to have someone on at some point. Um, so I have two out-of-the-park baseball questions for you. They are they are Oakland Athletics related, kind of, but indulge okay. me. So the first is, when you have a player in the game who gets very good in the game, 
Do you have trouble separating that from your real life evaluation of them? Like, like, are you like, no, 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 he gets good in the game. I, I want to give him more chances in real life. I want to see it from him. I believe because in out of the park, he becomes, you know, a 63 on the 80 scale. Yeah, totally. In fact, I also have that problem where if I participate in mock drafts and I draft a player in that draft, I can't separate what team that player actually ended up on and the team that I mock drafted him to. Um, so I'll often take credit for his success uh, as he moves up in a completely different system and different <laughs> circumstances. But yeah, it, it is hard not to like think, well, what if they had just given him another 30 at bats like I did? It re- worked out really well and <laughs> out of the park baseball. You just got to keep the samples large enough. Um, the other question I had, so you, I know, I know you do a lot of Bay Area stuff, um, but the Oakland A's in particular, do you think that that makes you more or less prone to be super budget conscious in the game? Like, do you, do you find yourself operating like the A's or wanting to be the complete polar opposite? You know, it depends on if I'm trying to recreate something I think is supposed to be realistic or if I'm actually trying to win. So I think I can throw the shackles off if I'm um, trying to win, if I'm trying to make it like, a real simulation of what I think they're going to do, you know, then the budget stuff definitely comes into play. (laughs) Excellent. Um, So, okay. Uh, Let's talk about the real Oakland days, not our our make believe your make believe Oakland days and my make believe uh, Toronto blue Jays. Um, By the way, I'm deep into one this year and the, the Jays just moved to Calgary in like 2033. It was very weird. Uh, Very, very odd. (laughs) So the Jays are not going to see Frankie Montes this week. Um, in this three-game set, he—it sounds like he's headed for further evaluation with, with uh, something that's bothering him. But prior to this injury, what has gone into making Frankie Montes so special? Because he's a name Jays fans have been very eager to hear about. As uh, any time the the Jays need for pitching. Uh, comes up in conversation. I know this is, you know, his second very strong year in a row and fourth in the last five. What What's made Montes so special? Yeah, you know, he's always had a great arm, right? Like he was traded, I think, three times before he came to the A's in part because that potential was always there. But, um, you know, he kind of had that 98-mile-per-hour fastball and not a whole lot less and, uh, else, and he also didn't really have great command. Um, and then he, you know, figured out his splitter. He figured out how to command his pitches a little bit better, and it all came together for him. And, you know, really, I, I would say in, like, 2018, he looked like at best you were looking at a, you know, high-leverage reliever. Um, and for him to be able to get, a, you know, a couple of off-speed pitches working to go along with the fastball and to have that improved command to the point where, really, you know, he could slot in in the top two spots in almost any rotation in baseball is, is incredibly impressive and, you know, a real um, – credit to the work that he put in and never really gave up on himself and, you know, didn't kind of allow himself to be limited as to what people were looking at. He also had a lot of health issues. You know, I think Mm -hmm. early on he had thoracic outlet syndrome and, and things like that. And, and so, um, you know, this recent shoulder thing aside, his run of good health, I think has also really helped a lot. So let's assume the best and this MRI is undergoing on his shoulder today comes back clean enough that he's still, a, re- a relevant target, a possible target. Do you think it is realistic for contending teams to circle Montes as a potential target, or is this someone that the A's are more invested in, in keeping around than some of their other top players we've seen the last few years? 
No, I, I think he would be someone who would be circled. I mean, the fact he's still with the team is maybe even a little bit surprising. I think, you know, when you saw the moves they made in spring training and the fact that they even traded Sean Mania right before the season started, you know, you kind of figured it was just a matter of time before Frankie was, was one of them. Um, you know, they, they really like Frankie, but I don't think there's anything different about him than, say, Chris Bassett or Sean Mania in terms of how much they liked him and where he would project into their future. He is a little bit younger, um, but the salary situation is going to be much the same or maybe even more expensive to keep him than it would have been with those guys. So, uh, yeah, I would have fully expected if the MRI came back, you know, with good news that he'd be one of the biggest targets uh, on the trade market in the next couple of weeks. It would be very interesting, uh, especially around these parts. When you look at the history between the Jays and the A's, they've made trades a, a handful of times, some pretty significant ones. Do you think that that helps with future deals or is there a scenario where like you're too close to each other's pieces? And if you're the A's and you're looking over the Jays system, you know, you've already taken seven or eight or 12 guys uh, from it. And, and, you know, maybe you're left with guys you're not as enthusiastic about or, or have gone back and forth uh, with Toronto about uh, basically, do you, do you think that that relationship makes a deal easier or is it kind of a, a non-factor? It makes it easier. I, you know, I think it, there's no question that GMs tend to, you know, negotiate with uh, other GMs that they're comfortable with. And I think there's no question that the A's and J's front offices have a good rapport with each other. Um, they've been able to work some pretty huge deals together. You know, I think the J's still have a really impressive farm system, you know, despite the trades they've made. So there, there certainly would be plenty of players left to target there, you know, and the fact that they have had as many discussions as they have, you know, leads you to believe that there are things that were left on the table that you could go back to, you know, in these types of negotiations that probably cuts down a lot of time and say, picking it up with a team that you hadn't talked to at all in the last year or so. So, um, yeah, no, I think that they, they do seem to have a good rapport. Um, I think the A's have gotten, you know, some good players back uh, from the Jays and some that haven't worked out, but I think, you know, that's, that that doesn't deter them, I don't think, from from going back there. Um, and I, I would think that, you know, the Jays would feel comfort in trusting, you know, the A's front office in terms of what they'd be telling them about health and other things as well. And I think that's really important, especially at the trade deadline. Like, can you trust the person on the other end is giving you the full picture of where this person stands health-wise as well? Yeah, it would be a very Jays pitching in 2022 thing to acquire someone who then immediately right. uh, goes on the <laughs> yeah. I.L. Um Maybe this is, um, maybe I'm overthinking this element of things, but you mentioned that you were surprised Montes wasn't a part of the kind of larger sell-off that Oakland was doing. As we start to hear things about not only them looking for a new stadium, but um, also, you know, some of the the not-so-quiet complaints from around the league about how they and a few other teams have handled the revenue sharing as a profit driving thing rather than uh, an expense floating thing. Do you think there's any amount of hesitation where it's like, well, you just don't want to draw eyes to selling off another piece who has a year of controllability still? I mean, maybe, although to be honest, if that was in play, I don't think that they, you know, would have gone ahead and traded Shamanaya like a day before the season started. Yeah. Cause certainly his salary is something that they could have, you know, absorbed fairly easily. So, um, you know, whatever rumblings you might hear, the league has not come out against any of the teams that are sort of using this revenue sharing for however they're using it. And, um, you know, I think, 
for better or worse, and I would say worse in most cases, the A's <laughs> dedicated all of their resources this year towards the stadium push and very little towards the actual team. Um, and, you know, I do know the league really wants to resolve the stadium. So at that point, they may be sort of giving them a pass, you know, just, just in the sense of they want to get this kind of squared away already. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything that, that – my guess is that, you know, Frankie Dudd ha- did have the extra year of control. They didn't get the offer they wanted, and they felt like they could wait because they did have the extra year of control, and it was, you know, not necessarily going to make the offers worse at the trade deadline than in spring training. Whereas with some of the other guys, if you're headed towards free agency in the off season, it's not necessarily, you know, going to get sweeter <laughs> with the pot, uh, you know, in terms of the pitchers anyway. So um, that's my sense as to why they didn't pull the trigger on him. Uh, you know, certainly if you're also looking at it from a team development standpoint, having you know, somebody who every fifth day you could kind of count on to be an anchor of your rotation at least allows the younger players to have something to sort of emulate a little bit too, which is not a bad thing. I don't think that would prevent them from trading him, but certainly I think it's helped because, you know, of all the aspects of the team, the rotation has been, you know, by far the most stable. And I think he's been the leader of that so far. So, um, but yeah, I I would fully expect that if, if he's healthy, um, they'll open a a pretty big bidding war for him in the next couple of weeks. We're speaking to Melissa Lockhart of the athletic, and we're talking about the relationship between the Jays and the A's uh, from a trade perspective so I want to look back at one of those recent deals the Jays pick up Matt Chapman in the offseason mm-hmm. worked out pretty well in Toronto so far he's he's not having uh, his greatest season at the plate in fact he's having his worst season at the plate by WRC plus uh, but he's been terrific and as advertised in the field for the most part uh, one throwing error yesterday uh, aside how have the return pieces from that trade been doing I know Kevin Smith and Zach Logue uh, kind of ended up back in AAA, and Hoagland is hurt. Kirby Snead's kind of the only guy around. Um, but there is, is there still optimism uh, around guys like Smith and Logue? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with Smith, it, it's sort of interesting. He was playing a lot of third base, and his third base defensive numbers were not a huge drop-off from what they were seeing from Matt Chapman. And, you know, I've covered baseball a long time. Josh Donaldson was here before Chapman was, and Chapman's still the best I've ever seen at the hmm. hot corner. So that's a pretty high bar. But um, I think they were, you know, they were pleased with what they were seeing there. But I think he was getting to a point offensively where it was sort of, it was in his head a little bit, you know, the struggles that he was having um, going back down to AAA where perhaps the pressure could be off a little bit and try to get himself reset is, is sort of where they're at right now. You know, he's had two stints in the big leagues, neither of them particularly long yet. Um and, and not successful, but, you know, there's plenty of players that have taken a couple of times to, to figure it out before they do. I think you saw the talent in flashes. You know, there were moments where you could kind of see, okay, offensively, this is what he could be. Um, so I don't think they're at a point at all of giving up on him. And, you know, Logue, I think, in limited capacity has been what you would have expected, which is, you know, kind of that solid you know, back-end starter type isn't going to blow anybody away, but um, could develop into sort of a similar pitcher to, you know, Cole Urban, who who the A's will throw out there today. Um, it, it isn't necessarily – he's not necessarily in the rotation, uh, you know, in AAA because he performs so poorly, but because, you know, they've actually had pretty good success, and I think they're trying to see what they have with – the triple A starters that they've got right now and kind of cycling them through a couple starts at a time. So, um, you know, I, I think he's not a guy you're going to build a rotation around anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I would expect to see him back, you know, at some point. Uh, Hoagland, I, you know, I haven't heard in the last couple of weeks how it was coming along, but they were projecting for him to sort of, 
um, get started in, in late July, uh, maybe early August, uh, you know, which would be the typical sort of time frame return from that Tommy John surgery recovery that he was he was going through. So um, obviously he's going to make or break whether the trade works out for the A's, I think, ultimately, you know, if he turns into what the Jays sort of projected him as when they made him a first round pick, um, then I think they'll feel pretty good about that trade and if he doesn't then you know it didn't return what they would have hoped so um yeah i think I, it's going to take a while <laughs> to see i mean i think you look back even at the josh donaldson deal and a year uh after that one you wouldn't have thought much of any of the players involved and then you look at you know kendall graveman now and you think well hey that was a pretty good player right so um it, it can take a while and I, I don't think immediate returns were necessarily what they were aiming for with that deal you mentioned cole irvin he'll get the start tonight uh followed by martinez and caprillion i know martinez is kind of the the only one of those guys who was high on the internal prospect list um, but what can you tell us um about those guys and irvin in particular since he's on the the mound tonight i, I know it's an elite walk rate but everything else looks you know, a li- at least a little bit smoke and mirrors, although the A's have had some success with those kind of guys in the past. Yeah, you know, this is the second year now in the rotation, mm-hmm. and it, it, at first you kind of were like, yeah, well, this will work till it doesn't, right? And it still keeps working. So it, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. I think, you know, A's pitching coach Scott Emerson's been there a long time, and he's always had a, a real knack for taking guys who can throw strikes and making them successful. And I think that's um, what you see with Cole Irvin, like, you know, in Philadelphia, I think they were trying to get him to do something different than what his strengths were. And I think his strengths are really mixing his pitches and um, changing speeds and, and not necessarily missing bats, but getting kind of weaker contact. And, you know, if you can get balls in the air that are not hit that well, generally speaking at the Coliseum, you'll have pretty decent success. So, um, you know, that's where he's lived. He doesn't have a huge margin for error, you know, so in uh, a lineup like the Jays with a lot of good right-handed hitters, you know, we'll see how that, works out for him tonight but um generally speaking he's he's been one of the more solid back end you know starters the last year and a half around the league um and caprillion's interesting you know he was obviously one of the big prospects in the yankees chain for a while um got hurt they acquired him in the sunny gray deal a million years ago and uh, he he just kept kind of running into injury issues um coming back from his tommy john surgery a few other things and then finally broke through last year and had a nice season and then this year in spring training got hurt again and sort of, it, you know, his season got off to a slower start. He was having trouble throwing strikes at the beginning of the year. Uh, the last couple starts, that's been a lot better. But uh, in terms of those three pitchers, you know, uh, he and Martinez are the guys that have stuff, whereas Irvin's more the guy that is a little bit, a little more guile, um, that sort of crafty lefty type. So, um, but Caprillion was up to 96, 97, which was sort of that, hmm. Um, velocity that he had when he was sort of an elite prospect coming out of UCLA. So we'll sort of see. I think, you know, he he may be in that um, area that, you know, Frankie was a few years ago where you see the stuff is there and you see the potentials there and it's just not quite all come together for him yet. But, um, you know, he's a great competitor and, and a very talented guy. So he's, he's worth looking, you know, keeping an eye on over the next couple of years. For sure. And if there's anything the A's have done okay this year it's on the defensive side the pitching side you look at the hitting side um dead last in overall offense over the last month second to last on the season in terms of uh right-handed hitting right-handed pitching and i'm not exaggerating ramon loriano literally the only player on the team even slightly above average with their overall offensive line um is there anyone kind of 
even though those the, the overall stat lines aren't impressive anywhere on this roster, but is there anyone that sort of ha- is with a bullet? Is, is Nick Allen figuring things out? Or are any of these guys um, former prospects like on the rise or, or worth keeping a close eye on in this series this week? Yeah, I mean, it's been baffling, to be honest with you. I mean, yes, they traded away some of the you know best offensive players they had, and yes, Mark Hanna, you know, and, and Sterling Marte signed with the Mets, but they did have functional <laughs> offensive players that were returning, and they did have players that they were high on coming into this. And you know, the lack of success, especially at home offensively, has been um, you know really stark. And uh, you know, it's not an easy place to hit, certainly, but they've usually been able to put up decent numbers there anyway. Um, so it's it, and it's odd too because at times they've hit the ball hard. They're just constantly hitting it at people and not hitting it away from people. You know, they need a little wee willy killer or something. So, um, you know, Nick Allen's just back up. Uh, I think it's been about two and a half, three weeks since he got recalled again. And, and I think they're really going to give him an everyday run now. And, um, you know, he's, he's not a guy I would like tie your fantasy team to in terms of offensive production, but he's certainly the kind of guy that can work the whole field. Maybe he can find the holes where other guys can't. Um, you know, he, he's got a pretty tough at bat usually, um, and he might steal a few bases and stuff. So, um, you know, he's, he's had a couple of good games on the road trip and, and hopefully that'll kind of carry over into the homestand, but just in general, whatever progress they seem to make when they go out on the road offensively, it tends to fall apart when they get back home. Um, Sean Murphy and, and, and Seth Brown have hit for power, um, not necessarily as much as you would have hoped consistently, but when they have gotten power, those are the two guys, generally speaking, that have given it to them. And uh, Elvis Andrews also, like in little spurts, has has had that kind of performance. So, you know, if there's going to be any picks to click, <laughs> those are probably <laughs> the ones. But um, I, I would think tonight it's going to be a very difficult matchup for them. Yeah, especially with Manoa on the hill on the Toronto side. Right. And poor, poor Tony Kemp, he was the apple of... Jays fans eyes heading into the season it was like, well, maybe you could get Tony Kemp from the left side. And then it's, uh, it's back to 216 batting average and sub 300 OBP. Um, Melissa Lockard of the athletics. Thank you so much for taking the time. That was, uh, that was great. That was a wealth of knowledge about the A's heading into this series. Uh, and I really appreciate it. I'm going to go. I, I don't know. You've sold me. I'm going to go Caprillion shopping in out of the park baseball later. Sounds good. Let me know how he is in three years. All right. We'll do, Melissa. Uh, thanks again. Uh, Melissa Lockhart of The Athletic. As Jays Talk Plus continues, we're going to have Ben Schulman on the other side uh, to talk about all things Jays. And, and I don't know. He's down at Madame Athletic Center right now. Global Jam kicking off uh, tomorrow. We don't have a lineup yet. This is So this is the first episode of Jays Talk Plus where uh, the Jays are on the West Coast. And... That's fine. I don't mind staying up and watching games. I it's it's nice. I really enjoy it, uh, especially now that I don't have to get up at four forty-five in the morning uh, for the morning show. However, I don't know that we're going to have lineups by the time this show goes off air at five p.m. So that takes away a segment we normally do toward the end. We we could still tee up the matchup and things like that, but uh, bear with us if you don't have the the lineups out there uh, by the time the show wraps up. What we do have is the pitching matchups for the series. And, and again, it's Alec Manoa and Cole Irvin tonight. 9.07 first pitch. Ben Wagner has the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. That'll be followed by Yusei Kikuchi against Adrian Martinez on Tuesday. That one goes at 9.40. And then uh, little midday 
337 first pitch on Wednesday as Jose Barrios uh, takes on James Caprillion, who Melissa gave us a pretty interesting sales job on him. I, I want a closer look at him. It should be an interesting one. Um, we talked to Melissa briefly about the return for Matt Chapman and how those guys are doing. Uh, just to close that out. So Kevin Smith was a big part of that trade. He was someone who was said to be major league ready or at least, you know, utility role ready. He had a 47 WRC plus over 47 games with Oakland. What that means is he, his overall offensive production was about 47% of that of an average offensive player. And that's not just for the middle infield. That's overall. So maybe give him a little bit of a uh, benefit of the doubt for bouncing around the diamond as he did that. But 180, 216, 302 slash line. He's been back down in AAA. Uh, it's only been 17 games, but uh, not hitting very well down at AAA either. A 32 WRC plus. So relative to the level, uh, he's struggled even more. Um, you don't, I mean, I know fans feel differently about this time to time. Uh, I personally, I like to see the guys that you traded away do well and have some success. I think it, you know, it helps to Melissa's point, the the trading relationship in the future. And also it's it's a nice warm thing if, uh, if it's a win-win and if a, a guy that you had invested in for some amount of time continues to have success elsewhere. Uh, that hasn't been the case for Kevin Smith. Things have been a little bit better for Zach Logue. Uh, 547 ERA over five starts and a relief appearance. Obviously, that's not a, a, a lot to write home about, and he's posted a 522 ERA um, in AAA. Not striking a lot of guys out, uh, struggling with his command as well. I mentioned Hoagland's been uh, banged up, and then old pal Kirby Sneed, who could not come to Toronto for those games. He was on the restricted list. Um, he's thrown 14 innings out of the bullpen at the major league level for the A's with a 736 ERA uh, and a 461 ERA in AAA. So if you are the opposite type of fan and you like to see the prospects you traded away or in Sneed's case, non-prospects you traded away do poorly, uh, this was the trade for you because none of those guys off to great starts for Oakland. Matt Chapman. Probably going to be fired up for this one, his return to Oakland. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk to Ben Shulman, sometimes voice of the Blue Jays on the Sportsnet Radio Network when when Ben Wagner's off, and also host of Locked on Jays. Uh, ben Shulman next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. Happy 4th of July, I guess. I don't know. We're in Canada. We're in Canada. What's the big deal? It does mean baseball on all day. Little Tigers-Cleveland action in front of me right now. Ninth inning, close game, save situation. Love, love all day baseball schedules. It's nice. We'll take it. Uh, Jay's not in action until 9.07 tonight. Ben Wagner with the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And Sho Ali has Jay's Talk post game for you throughout this uh, this West Coast trip. Joining me now, a man who has filled in on the Sportsnet Radio Network uh, when we've needed him in the past. He's also the host of Locked on Jays. And he's doing some global jam stuff with Sportsnet Canada basketball this week. It's Ben Shulman. Ben, how are you? 
I'm good, Blake. I'm disappointed I wasn't listed as first Jays Talk Plus guest of all time, but I'll uh, I'll take the other titles in uh, all seriousness. Thanks so much for having me back on. Looking forward to it. Did I tell you the thing that I realized afterward about you being the first guest on Jays Talk Plus? Uh, did it have to do, I believe you had had my dad on as your first guest on another show, right? Yes, exactly. And I didn't realize that, but it was a nice, uh, a nice little bit of uh, kismet, I guess we'll say. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was fun, though. Uh, so before we get into serious Blue Jays stuff, we got to do a serious, a very, very serious Raptors. You... I know that you've been tweeting almost as much as me about Kevin Durant being a Blue Jays fan. We, you got to think the Jays turning things around and having a really big week could help nudge Kevin Durant toward the Raptors, right? I'm grasping at anything possible. So, yes, I'll, I'll say that uh, the more home runs Vladdy hits and the more strikeouts Alec Manoa gets, the better chance we have of getting Kevin Durant. I believe Drake posted an Instagram story with him recently. Mm-hmm. I saw that on Twitter somewhere. So, look... At this point, I'm going to take anything I can. It's kind of like the did Kawhi visit an elementary school in Toronto yesterday. <laughs> you just got to hope because a player like Kevin Durant's not coming around these parts very often. Oh, uh, apparently the Drake Instagram story was fake, but whatever. Either way, uh, this is fun. Like people are posting old Kevin Durant photos from Blue Jays games and saying they're they're from this weekend and things like that. Uh, it's fun to do this kind of watch thing. Um, speaking of watch, you were at Rogers Center as a fan this weekend i'm curious how did you how did you feel about the doubleheader experience that we rarely if ever get here in toronto yeah so that was a lot of fun i mean first off i had not been uh to the rogers center since COVID had started with me being at school in the u.s and just kind of all the different stuff that was going on so being back was really fun uh enjoyed the experience of the doubleheader i actually was only in person for game one uh but obviously watched game two as well and I think uh, I like doubleheaders, but I also don't understand. Like my dad sometimes will say, oh, my goodness, like the doubleheaders were so great when I was a kid. You'd sit at both games. I know those games were shorter. That is a lot of baseball, even for me. <laughs> like I like them every once in a while. Um, I think uh, scheduled doubleheaders, though, are good that they are buried from now on because, you know, the Jays got beat both times. And I think by the end of it, a lot of people just wanted to think about a different sport like maybe basketball. <laughs> yeah, that that goes hand in hand. If the Jays win five of five, maybe uh, I mean, it's Kevin Durant. People would uh, would still be fired <laughs> up for it. So curious um, when you watch a game like that and you're there as a fan versus when you're watching a game on the call on Sportsnet Radio Network, for example, or when you're watching the game kind of with an eye toward, I'm going to podcast about this later. How does your approach change? Like, like are you watching for different things? Um, do, you, do you feel yourself shifting in and out of roles like that, or, or is it all kind of the same and then you just filter it through after? I, I think it's all pretty much the same, to be honest. I, I have a hard time at this point snapping out of, you know, the broadcast mode of, really locking in on every single pitch and paying attention to different stuff. Like it's hard for me to sit at a game these days um, and be comfortable with looking away for a long period of time or stuff like that. So uh, my poor girlfriend had to listen to me talking about a ton of stuff that she probably didn't care about and just wanted to watch the game. (laughs) But for me, it's uh, it's hard not to, you know, point out that they're changing their defense with two strikes or like that's a weird shift they didn't use last time. 
uh, I'm kind of always in that mode. And, and maybe the thing was too, I was, uh, you know, tweeting about that game for locked on Jays, the mm. podcast that I'm on. So that definitely helps too. Uh, but yeah, pretty much, you know, since I started broadcasting the way I just watch sports in general uh, has turned probably more critical and, and thinking a lot more than when I was watching them just as a fan before. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. I run into the same thing more. I mean, I haven't quite got there with baseball yet because most of my career has been basketball. Um, so basketball yeah. is definitely that way. Uh, so you were at the first game of the doubleheader, right? Yes. So you see Kevin Gosman take this liner off his leg and then you see Casey Lawrence come in and he gets applauded for eating five and two thirds innings, which, yes, absolutely. You save the bullpen there big time. Um, but he also gave up six runs. And, and I don't say that to negate what he was able to contribute to the team that day but i do say it because looking ahead to thursday we don't know yet if kevin gosman is going to be able to make that start at seattle um and if he's not but it's not serious enough for an il stint you're probably looking at a bullpen day Uh, i'm curious what did you see out of casey lawrence that you like or came away discouraged by. I know he's had a really good season at AAA, um, but that's not always uh, portable to the major leagues. Yeah, I thought he threw strikes and, and attacked hitters, which, you know, when you come up as the 27th man, I would understand, especially in that situation where Gosman gets out uh, of the game early because the liner being nervous and not attacking, but he attacked. Um, so I, I like that. Uh, but then again, he left some stuff over the plate. Both home runs he gave up. I know Franco's hit the foul pole, but distance-wise, like you could tell it was going to be out off the bat. And and I think it was Paredes who hit the other one. That was uh, definitely out right when it was hit. Uh, I think another thing I like, he got unlucky in that three-run inning, to be fair. You know, ball gets hit off him, another infield single. Uh, when you look at the contact that was made in that inning, he probably should have given up one or no runs. And then we're looking at, okay, maybe he pitched five and two thirds, six innings with three runs allowed instead of six runs allowed. Uh, And that's obviously a huge difference. Uh, But at the same time, you know, he wasn't getting a ton of swing and miss. I don't think guys were that fooled um, by his pitch mix or the way he was kind of tunneling his pitches against each other. And, you know, I, I think if the Jays plan to use him again, it's probably in less innings. Uh, that's what the hope is, I would think, uh, is that, you know, it's using him in two or three innings as an opener more than as a starter because um, not only did he get hit, but then they brought Thomas Hatch up and tried to give him a start, and he got hit, and it might be at this point to go to the model to just kind of – I mean, if Gosman's got to miss the start, I'd put him on the 10-day IL because it's just practical. Then you can call up another guy, and then you have a bit of an opener start, and you can add other bullpen arms. Not to mention, you know, Richards is back. Garcia is making uh, – he was activated to AAA today, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're going to have more available arms to pitch a more con- – like a, a more put-together bullpen day if you want one going forward. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Although I think the pitcher IL is back to 15 days now. So you do run You're into right. a little You're bit right. of a complication there. Although you have the all-star break ahead too. So maybe it's effectively uh, 10 days. I think it's 11 days until the all-star break. No, 13. Yeah. Any, anyway, sorry, I shouldn't be talking this out as I'm asking you questions. Um, but that would that would save you a couple days off the end there. So from the names that you've seen, let let's play out the scenario where Gosman doesn't make the start and instead of a bullpen day, they decide, well, we just want one guy out there who can give us maybe four innings at the top of the bullpen day. When you look at a Lawrence, a Hatch, a Max Castillo, whoever else it is, um, is there 
one of those guys that you are more confident in than the others in a situation like that? I'm intrigued by Castillo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been a little up and down. Um, obviously, his first appearance was his worst appearance, but after, you know, giving up those back-to-back home runs, uh, he's been pretty solid. He was having an awesome year uh, before he came up, and he's on the younger side of some of those guys you mentioned. Uh, I, Hatch, I, I still have faith in Hatch, but at the same time, I'm not sure that the team has a ton of confidence putting him back out there after what happened last time. Maybe give him a little bit more time to work on what went wrong and, and come back a little stronger later. So I think Castillo could be a fun option uh, because he, he profiles as potentially you know a starting pitcher going forward at some point in the future. And uh, he was a guy I was a little bit on before he got called up because I – when I work in the Midwest league with the four Wayne tin caps, I go to Lansing, which was the Jays affiliate forever. And Jesse Goldberg Strassler, their great broadcaster loves Max Castillo. I just think he's a, an amazing pitcher that will end up being great. So uh, that probably is, is tipping the scales for me a little bit because I trust Jesse's opinion, but uh, I'm interested in seeing if Max can put together four innings of, of two runs allowed, something like that. Just keep them in a position to win. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, maybe, it doesn't end up happening. Like maybe it, it doesn't matter uh, because they go the bullpen route or, or, I mean, best case scenario, Gosman's able to make that start and, and the foot thing isn't uh, too serious at all. So let's look bigger picture here. Let's say, you know, I, I mean, Gosman doesn't even have to be, be hurt for this to be a thing, but obviously there are some holes in the pitching staff here. Right? And that is true at the back of the bullpen. That's true at the back of the rotation. If, You'd rather have Stripling in that kind of versatile swingman role he was in prior, um, or you don't have a lot of faith in, you know, Kikuchi's last start being something he carries forward. Are there any pitchers that come to mind for you when you look around the league and you're like, yeah, that guy would be a fit, and and I could see, you know, the price being right or the fit being right, or are you still primarily focused on bullpen additions if you're the Jays? I I look more to the bullpen than the starters just because, uh, like, the starters that everyone – is thinking about are Castillo and Montas mm-hmm. from uh, the Reds and the A's and everyone wants those guys. And I'm just worried that the asking price is going to be higher than the blue Jays want to go. I know people want them to spend. They traded their top prospect last year for Jose Barrios. They they've spent a lot already uh, and they've locked down starters for the most part, long-term. So it's not like they have that much room to trade for a guy and sign him to an expensive long-term contract. They already have that with Barrios. They have that with Gosman. They probably want that with Manoa pretty soon. And Kikuchi's deal isn't so cheap either. So uh, I'm, I look more to the bullpen. Um, I do think there are some guys, uh, starters, that you could potentially go after. Like maybe it's not Montas, maybe Blackburn, even though uh, he has a little more years on his deal with the A's just because he's not the name that everyone wants. Maybe you can get him for cheaper. He's not a starter the Jays will see in this series, I don't believe, but he's been fantastic uh for the a's but i i love like the idea of bringing in you know maybe robertson from the cubs uh, mm-hmm. maybe him and michael givens who was at one point a very nasty side armor uh for the orioles and now as you know is a little bit older and isn't pitching as well but it seems like they want to take a couple chances on some projects and see if pete uh can turn them into better pitchers pitchers like they're doing with you know sergio romo so um, I like the idea of bolstering the back end. I fall back a lot on that Kansas City team that beat the Blue Jays and won the World Series in 2015. Their starting rotation was good. It wasn't fantastic. Their bullpen was insane. Uh, 
uh, or you go to the 2021 Braves, where their bullpen was unstoppable in the playoffs. And I just think you can hide starters easier than you can hide a bullpen when it comes to playoff time. The Royals an interesting team because they do have a couple interesting arms there themselves uh, that could potentially be trade targets uh, like a Scott Barlow or, or if Josh Doma could ever stop walking everyone. I, I get so excited about the <laughs> swing and miss stuff. And then it's like, ah, but you have to get that guy to swing and miss because he just put two guys on base. Um, Amir Garrett, same kind of thing. A, a lot of bat missing, but a lot of strike zone missing uh, as well. And now the shine's kind of coming off of Joel Payamps. Um So, okay, I I think most people would agree that bullpen is, if not the the A1 priority, then it's the easiest thing to address. So it's the lowest hanging fruit. It costs you the least in terms of, um, you know, whatever's left in the budget or prospect capital or whatever. Have you more or less moved off of the idea? Like um, prior to the season, a lot of the talk was, well, the Jays will need another left-handed bat for higher up the lineup. Um, there are still some names out there, but with how the lineup has performed and with a Kevin Biggio rounding coming around um, and with the, those needs on the pitching side, are you still looking to add that bat or have you kind of, do you focus your, your resources where the biggest holes are right now? I think I focus on pitching. I think Kevin Biggio has essentially been that lefty bat they needed. I mean, I looked at it before yesterday's game, I think, uh, since May 26th, his recall, he has, a, he has a 940 OPS. That's better than Springer, Bichette, and Vlad Jr. I, I think he provides you what you need because he can play so many positions, so there's no worry about getting him in. And you know, teams don't even use you know right, right, left, left matchups that much anymore. They're looking at different kind of stuff these days uh, in terms of the pitching side. So I think if they can hit the ball, which they've pretty much been the highest scoring offense since that 8-1 win, in St. Louis back in May, I don't necessarily think you need to worry about the offense with this team. Those guys are going to hit. Uh, it's whether they're going to have to hit from behind 5-1 in the fourth inning or or are they going to be worried about blowing a lead that they've held uh, in the eighth inning. I, I think that is a bigger concern for me, especially with the way uh, that Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Goriel have hit recently. I would have thought maybe go after a lefty bat to put in the corner outfields but I don't really want those guys out of the lineup any day anymore. They are hitting incredibly recently. So we look at the American League standings, and the AL East is obviously very tight. The Yankees well ahead. The Jays, Rays, Red Sox separated by only a game, and then Cleveland kind of lurking there. When you look ahead with this new format, potentially four AL East teams making the postseason, I think that's good for the league. Like I know three of those teams are pretty big market, but – to me, as exciting as the playoffs are going to be, it does kind of highlight the divisional imbalance a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, I think financially it's probably good for the league. Like you mentioned, East Coast, big markets. That's what, you know, gets the most TV viewership. Those are the biggest fan bases. Typically not, you know, I love the Midwest and it's where I reside a lot of the time. But, uh, you know, the East Coast is where a lot of the money is. Uh, yeah, does it? I, I think it does show a bit of an, an imbalance, though. Uh, or more than a bit of an imbalance in the divisions. And I'm not sure uh, what to do to try and solve that because you're not going to move New York and Boston out of a division. And it's not like uh, other teams aren't going to be good while they're in there. I mean, the AL East, you know, I love the Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays are a fun team, but it's one of the most dangerous divisions year after year in baseball because the Red Sox and the Yankees happen to be in it kind of like 
recently with the NL West having the Dodgers and the Giants be huge threats or the Padres be huge threats at the same time. So, I mean, maybe it points to some people balance the schedule more, uh, but at the same time, if you balance the schedule more, I actually just think the AL East teams do even better. Uh, so I don't know exactly what to do because I don't think they'll change the division setup. Uh, I would be surprised if they wouldn't keep it geographical. They like the rivalries. It's unfortunate. It just kind of highlights that, you know, in both leagues, the central divisions happen to be pretty weak this year. Uh, and I think, you know, there is a little bit to be said. I know people are worried about the Blue Jays maybe being caught by the Rays or they've already been caught as of right now by the Red Sox. But I believe if you finish as the last wild card, or sorry, if you finish as the first wild card, uh, you're going to be playing that AL Central team. So it actually is a huge deal, uh, potentially, instead of playing against the Astros or something like that. You want to try and position yourself uh, to play against the Central team. So it could have, depending on where Central teams end up, some weird consequences uh, come playoff time, kind of like we see in the NBA sometimes where a team will uh, conspicuously rest their starters hmm. in the last couple of games to drop from like the six to the seven seed. There's also, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, a good point. Um, maybe we get better divisional alignment if uh, Manfred gets his expansion thing figured out, although yes. waving relocation, there's a, there's a mess of stuff on the, that side of things for the <laughs> league. Uh, one more Jay's question for you before we let you go. Uh, Gabriel Moreno has cooled off a little bit. Danny Jansen is uh, making a rehab start at AAA tonight. Has your opinion changed at all on what they should do with the catcher trio in the short term? It's so tough because the sample sizes on both Moreno and Jansen are so small. I mean, obviously Alejandro Kirk is fantastic and he needs to be there playing as much as possible. I would, you know, I don't know what kind of, trade looks they're getting for Jansen. I think Jansen's really valuable to the team, but that's also part of the reason if you have another catcher that you trust, you might want to look to trade him because he's probably valuable to a lot of other teams too. And maybe that's a way you can make your prospect capital a little bit less in a trade for a starting pitcher. I, I think as of now, when Jansen comes back, I'd probably shift Moreno back down. Um, Gabby's really good. It's not like he still couldn't work on some stuff. Like you said, he's cooled off. Even when he was hitting uh, well, it was pretty much all singles. So I think, you know, I would bring Jansen up. Uh, some people subscribe to the theory that the pitchers are better when he's there. I haven't totally looked at the numbers uh, to see how much better they would be. And the sample size of Moreno would make me a little bit nervous about making that an official stat anyway. But I'd probably bring Jansen in for now. I wouldn't be opposed to his name being in trade talks, but if you don't get the right price, uh, Gabby Moreno's super young next year and super young when the roster expands in September and having him back down in AAA working on stuff for just a couple months, I don't think is the end of the world. Gabby Moreno is still just 22. Uh, also 22 or younger. Well, 23 or younger. All the athletes you're going to be covering at Global Jam uh, these next couple days. Ben, you are doing, uh, you're on the call with Javon Shepard for the day games. Global Jam again, July 5th to 10th. Uh, put on by Sportsnet and Canada Basketball, under 23 teams uh, from four different countries on the men's side, four different countries on the, the women's side, including on the men's side, uh, just Baylor representing the men, which is uh, which is really cool. Uh, ben, what are you looking forward to most about these next couple of days? I know this is a baseball show, but you've got, uh, you've got a fun couple of days ahead on the basketball side. 
Yeah, yeah. Love some summer basketball. Um, you, you talk about Baylor. That's one thing I'm hugely looking forward to. I, while we've been on this call and before we got on it, I'm, I'm sitting up here as Baylor is practicing uh, the, the 2021 national champions. So that should be a ton of fun. Uh, I'm not. So we're in the morning session. We're not doing the Canadian team. Uh, but while this is a FIBA approved event, it's not uh, necessarily uh, you know, it's not counting towards FIBA points. So there actually are going to be like on the women's side with VCU representing uh, team USA, there are actually some Canadians on that USA team. So I think <laughs> for uh, Canadian basketball fans, there are going to be some names to look out for like uh Kiowa Walters, perhaps uh, who is one of the bigs on that VCU team who appeared to me in practice today to be in the starting lineup, but that is not official um, on the men's side. You know, we have, Quincy Garrier, former Syracuse Orange and uh, Oregon Duck star, who is uh, playing for Team Canada. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but really, the, the best part about it, and Javon was talking to me about it too, because he has played, you know, in different parts of the world, is the difference of styles that are going to come into this tournament. I mean, we watched the France women yesterday do certain ball handling and skills drills for 30 to 40 minutes. Like they're going to be really trying to cross people up. They have one player that kind of already looks like a Steph Curry prototype. And then you go and you look at, you know, the team Canada practice. It wasn't like a lot of dribbling. It was a lot of physical stuff. Guys trying to make shots through contact and really like limited fouls called in a scrimmage, trying to get people prepared for the ups physicality of the international game. The Brazilian team is quick and huge. I mean, you would be shocked to see the size of some of these 23 year olds and under, they are uh, a ton of fun. So I think, Watching style to style, how different teams are playing. And like you said, you know, four countries each side, USA and Canada have men's and women's in both. But to see what, you know, Brazilian, Belgian, France, or French and Italian basketball is going to look like against these styles that North American fans are more accustomed to. Uh, that's kind of the most exciting thing for me. I'm looking forward to it, Ben. Uh, also looking forward to it, we might get to meet in person for the first time because I'll be down and around some of the yeah. Global Jam stuff around the Jays schedule and the Jays Talk Plus schedule. Um, so good luck with the the calls ahead with Javon. Uh, I'll try to catch as much of it as I can and have a great time this week. Yeah, thanks so much. Don't be a stranger. Come down. I'd love to see you. And thanks so much for having me on again. Uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. All right, Ben. Uh, ben Schulman, Locked on Jays and uh, calling the morning sessions for Global Jam, which Canada Basketball and Sports Center are putting on this week at Mattamy Athletic Center, July 5th to 10th. Uh, you can go to basketball.ca for more information on that. Tickets, broadcast schedule, all those things. A different Ben, Ben Wagner, will have the call for you on Sportsnet, Rogers Sportsnet Radio Network uh, tonight at 9.07 when the Jays have uh, the first of three against the Oakland Athletics. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to tee that up and tee up the series. I don't think we're going to have a lineup, but I have a spreadsheet here of 50 relief pitching targets. So maybe I'll just start going through those with you guys. Uh, you can also keep your questions coming in to 590, 590, or hit me at Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. Uh, your questions, and we tee up the Jays A's series next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy with you for another half hour here. 
No Jays or A's lineup yet. The game's not until 9.07 Eastern time. Ben Wagner will have the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali with Jays Talk post game for you. Going to be a late night for show. Send them your, your very uh, late night calls and, and texts after the game. Uh, we have some of your texts in the text line. You can keep those coming to 590, 590. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be answering the ones about Kevin Durant. Uh, we could do that on the Raptor show another day this week. Uh, Jay from London asks, when do we look at Charlie not meeting expectations or even Atkins? Uh, obviously, the pitching is brutal. How many years have we had no depth now? So this is the Charlie part of this is, is tough because if you want to blame the front office for the lack of pitching options, it's hard to then also put it on Charlie Montoyo for how he's managed inadequate pitching options. Uh, I would lean more toward at this point, the lack of organizational depth at either of those positions. And yeah, they've had some misfortune, but it's baseball. Lots of teams have had uh, misfortune. You just got, you just lost a series to the Rays, a Rays team that had like 30 guys on the injured list. Uh, you have to have that org depth built in. So I'd lean that way. Um, you know, if it were a fully healthy and well-stocked bullpen and the wrong decisions were being made or guys were being left in too much and, uh, or, you know, not being left in long. And if there were, you know, more tangible things like that, I, I could see it being a discussion and it's not completely out of mind. Um, but when you're talking about making the most of, not the best options uh, when we're talking, you know, trying to make chicken salad. If you know the saying I'm referring to, I, I find it a little tougher to to hang that on the manager, um, at least for right now. Uh, Kirk from Pickering says these precious few years, we have a financially cheap lineup are slipping away. If you don't spend on major league arms. Yeah, this is uh that's a good point. And, and look, this is the highest payroll the franchise has ever had. So it's not that they're not spending. They spent on Gosman. They spent on Barrios. They spent on Kikuchi. They spent on Ryu. It's just that those guys are not uh, working out to the degree that you hope Gosman is of course. Um, and Barrios and Kikuchi are both coming off of good starts, but Ryu's done for the year and probably done for his tenure as a blue Jay, unless you get, you know, a little bit out of them late next year. So I don't know that it's a spending thing. I would say though that, yeah, you have a window here. You, you almost have dual windows when you have a lot of talented young players in that you have a window that you can strike right now while they're inexpensive. And that allows you to spend other places. And then you have the window where they're expensive and you're paying them fair value and you're still probably really good because those players don't get less effective necessarily. But then the support pieces around them, you have to be sharper with. You have to make sure well-developed um, and our you know, prospects are, are inexpensive for that reason, which is probably why there will be some hesitance from this front office to move their higher-end prospects who are far from the majors because those are the guys that a couple years from now are going to need to be the guys making Manoa and Bo Bichette money as Bo and Manoa and Vlad are, are making closer to what they're actually worth. So um, it's a good point, Kirk. It's just uh, a little, I mean, we'll see. We, we got a couple of weeks here. We got a, less than a month to the deadline. Um, <laughs> uh, Drew in Peterborough says he doesn't want to talk about the bullpen or the pitching. He wants to talk about how great the born and raised festival was. Um, and how great it is in Ontario to have great bands, but great people in those bands who care about the communities. Uh, I agree. I was there for 
Sunday. Um, Drew says it was a big Jason 30 weekend for him. Um, I managed to catch all but Sunday live and Sunday, uh, Jay's I mean, and Sunday I was kind of watching on my phone while I was like the, the timing lined up well before the festival really got underway. Um, but glad you enjoyed that, Drew. I had a great time as well. Um, Trevor in Toronto asks, it's been reported that the Jays want more fastballs from Kikuchi. Uh, Barker said post game that he still saw him shaking off a lot in his last start. Is there any hope that Danny Jansen can get better results from Yusei Kikuchi? That's a, an interesting one. Um, Danny Jansen by reputation is their best game caller. He's the, the guy that they trusted with Hyunjin Ryu, who was the, you know, uh, allegedly the, the toughest person in the rotation to catch the Kikuchi thing. It's a small sample, but Kikuchi has his best ERA with Danny Jansen and he's pitched to five different catchers this year. Uh, and he has a three sixty ERA over four games and 20 innings with Jansen. So maybe there's a little something there. Um, you probably need a pretty big sample before you start looking at something like catchers ERA and the gap between um, the gap between catchers uh, with the same starting rotation and you need unfortunately you need sample like okay well you got to have Kirk catch everyone and then Moreno catch everyone and then Jansen catch everyone to, to kind of see the differences and strip out a few things but this is Danny Jansen's fifth partial season in the majors it stands to reason that he would be a little further advanced in his development as far as those skills go um, given the experience gap between himself and Kirk and himself and Moreno <laughs> uh, someone said something in about uh, the crowd chanting, let Vladdy pitch when Thomas Hatch was struggling. I am curious who the position player they would have pitches. I think it's Bradley Zimmer just because he's, you know, kind of the last guy on the roster sheet. I don't know though. I think they would have done it with Otto Lopez when Otto Lopez was around too. Um, Tampa Bay certainly didn't hesitate to give uh, to give Phillips a shot in a blowout game at one point as well. Um, Daryl in Brantford says, when will Jay's upper management be forthcoming on their strategy to deal with the pitching issues? Uh, I mean, when is in the next couple of weeks? The trade deadline is August 2nd. We're going to see it. I don't know that it helps anything to come out and say, this is what we're going to do, or this is what we're going to try to accomplish. Um, I don't think it's a secret where this team's weaknesses are and where the holes are. We'll see in the next couple of weeks, you know, if that, if there are no moves made by August 2nd, then yeah, there, there are a lot of answers to make. Um, but I think at this stage in the season, you're probably in more of a show me, don't tell me spot when it comes to uh, making those statements. Uh, Nate from Stony Creek, wants me to send my list of 50 relief pitchers. Uh, again, I joked with, well, not joked with Caitlin earlier. It, I, it's actually something that I did, but I filtered for all relievers on losing teams who hit a certain velocity cutoff, a certain strikeout cutoff, a certain swinging strike cutoff, a certain chase percentage cutoff, a uh, hard hit percentage cutoff, and some stat cast cutoffs. And we got a list of 50 guys that are potential targets with those criteria. 29 of them make less than a million dollars. So um, some potential there. Although the tough thing with the the sellers, when you look at, I, I go back and forth on if the 29 guys making less than a million dollars 
is a positive or a negative because those a lot of those non-contending teams also tend to be cheaper teams or more budget conscious when they're not winning. And then maybe they want to hang on to those players. David Bednar in Pittsburgh is probably the best example of that where he makes $700,000. So Pittsburgh's not in a rush to get rid of uh, get rid of him and you probably have to make it worth their while in prospect capital. That is to say, though, that the list is pretty long of guys you could take a swing at and maybe they add a little bit to your bullpen depth. Um, I'm sure that listeners have higher aspirations uh, than the guys at the very end of that list, the the unknowns, um, but you need help somewhere and you're probably going to add, uh, honestly, if they even if they add one high-end name ticket reliever, they're probably also going to add another Simber slash Richards type that doesn't blow you away on paper, uh, but they think they see something. And that's how this front office has uh, approached things. Jeff from Sarnia wants the Jays to go for Singer or Keller from the Royals for rotation help. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the cost on those guys is going to be. Um, you know, a guy like Brady Singer is only 25 and he's not a free agent for three years. I, I don't think Kansas City would be particularly eager to move a guy like that. Um, Keller, maybe you get a, may, maybe you have more of a, a chance with, although he's 26 and still has um, at least one more year of control as well. So I don't know. Those are interesting names that are, you know, hovering just a little north of four in terms of ERA and have de- reasonable metrics backing those numbers up. Um, but the thing you to keep in mind with, the less competitive teams, especially the smaller budget ones, is those years of control are pretty important to those teams, especially when guys are inexpensive. Craig in Canmore asks, if you had to include Teoscar or Lourdes in a trade, which one would you want to let go of or hold on to? It's a tough one because Teoscar Hernandez is a better player, period. He's also closer to free agency and makes more money and stands to make more money. If you're talking about optimizing the entire roster, he's probably an easier guy to send out and you probably get more back. Um, But with where this team is right now, you got to keep the better player. So if all, all else equal, uh, you keep Teoscar Hernandez. Um, It's just, you know, when you're laying out what the roster looks like for 2023 and ahead, it's probably easier to lose him and manage around that. That's a tough one though. Um, for this year, you're keeping Teoscar. I don't think you're you're moving either of those guys realistically. Um, there is probably some element as well of how close Lourdes Gurriel and Vladimir Guerrero are. Although that's an assumption on my part more than uh, anything I know for sure is on the front office's mind. Uh, Ray from Aurora says, we need a really good bullpen pitcher. Trade either Hernandez or a prospect for Gregory Soto. Uh, we need this to happen ASAP or there goes the season. Uh, look, it's going to happen soon. There's not even a month to the trade deadline. I've been on the train since before June of why do you have to wait? Like, I, I get that that's what teams do, but why? The games still count. You get more time out of a guy. Um, we'll see how they feel about that timeline. You're You're also in the part of the season now where sellers might grind you down to the deadline to see if they can get a better offer. Um, Mark from Toronto asks, at what point do you, does Ross seriously consider trading Teoscar for legitimate pitching help? Man, everyone wants to trade Teoscar today. 
it's a tough one. <laughs> tough Porte Oscar. Um, yeah. Once you're past a certain level of acquisition target, you got to give something to get something. And he's a, a very good player who then maybe you're into the territory where you don't even have to look at just the bad teams because a good team might have a pitching surplus and, and could use a bat. Um, I don't think that that's particularly likely this year, but you never know. Tyler from London asks, with Jansen coming back and being a great defensive catcher, is there any deal where Moreno could be a part of it? Um, I don't know. I've said this a couple times that preseason, when you're talking about a Jose Ramirez-like target, yeah, everyone's on the table. Um, if you got a front-end starter that bumped everyone back a slot uh, or even you know slid in after Gosman and Manoa and bumped Kikuchi and Stripling and Brios all back a slot... Maybe, um, certainly not for relief help, certainly not for the type of outfield uh, left-handed bat that would, you, you know has been kicked around like an Andrew Benintendi or anything like that. SJ from North York asks, what comes first? Zimmer's batting average gets below 100 or Sergio Romo pitches high leverage in the eighth? Uh, it's definitely the Sergio Romo thing. If he has like two more good outings, this bullpen's thin enough that he climbs the trust tree and Bradley Zimmer could you know, be moved or DFA'd or something like that before his average gets a chance to get below 100. Also, he homered on the weekend, so the OPS is safe uh, for now. Tim and Allison ask, why is there so much urgency for the Jays to leverage their depleted depth further this season for a World Series push? They have a lot of control over top talent on this team. Maybe they want to push things into next year and make stronger moves in the offseason. Tim, that that's a reasonable point, but I think the thinking here is kind of, I think Daryl Morey on the basketball side, you just call it the 5% rule, which is if you have a 5% chance, getting to a 5% chance at a title is so rare that you kind of have to go all in at that point. Not all in and, you know, you're trading Gabriel Moreno for uh, a seventh inning arm or anything like that, but you want to strike while Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Alec Manoa and Bo Bichette are not only in their primes or entering their primes, but also while they're, getting paid less than they're worth. And I don't mean that in an anti-labor way. I mean it in let's assume that the team is working with a fixed budget or, or, you know, some sort of budget. I, uh, you gotta be careful there because you don't want to look back and be like, well, 2020 was a pandemic shortened season and you only got to taste the playoffs. And then 2021, Oh, you missed by a game, but you know, they were a young and up-and-coming team at that point, and they were learning on the fly. And then, oh, well, 2022, some things went the wrong way, and it didn't make sense for them to go, you know, all in that year. And then suddenly it's 2023, and Vlad is making, you know, $20 million, and you got to start thinking extension. Um, Bo and Manoa are reaching arbitration. All your pitchers are a year older. This is... Uh, I just don't think you can squander a year where you have this much talent. Uh, so you don't have to necessarily swing. You don't, you don't have to cash in all of the depth in the organization, but I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice to not look at every possible path to improving your team, because this is a very good team. It's uh there was like a two month stretch there where they were the best offensive baseball, even as the Yankees stayed hot uh, we've seen their top two arms pitch like Cy Young candidates for good stretches of the season. The team's too good to not be aggressive. There are some more texts in the text line. We'll we'll pocket them for for tomorrow, maybe. Um, we 
don't have a lineup again because the the game's at 907 tonight. Um but we can set up the series. By the way, Danny Jansen and Jimmy Garcia are starting rehab assignments today in Buffalo. Uh, if you missed that earlier when we talked about it with Caitlin McGrath, uh, that's your only real roster news for right now. But you have Alec Manoa against Cole Irving tonight. A little bit about Irvin. He's a soft-tossing lefty, 358 ERA, but the peripherals don't really back that up. Uh, he walks just about no one. But he doesn't miss bats. And, you know, sometimes with pitcher types like this, you get a lot of weak contact because they're deceptive and they keep you off balance. Most of his contact metrics and his stat cast metrics don't look super favorably on him. Um, not terrible, but certainly not to the tune of a 358 ERA. His closest comparable, actually, on stat cast is 2021 J.A. Happ. So... Do with that what you will. Uh, he's kind of like a left-handed Ross Stripling where he'll mix in five pitches and it's more about the inability to guess correctly than the the strength of any of those, any one of those pitches. So it's sort of 91 mile an hour fastball about 29% of the time. When you look at the heat zones, heat maps for where a pitcher throws, I don't know if I've ever seen a fastball that's more down the middle in bright red than Cole Irvin. So uh, 91 miles an hour sitting down the middle you think, how is that a fairly effective pitch? Well, his sinker is about the same speed. He throws it nearly as much, and they're they're hard to distinguish. Um, his sinker does catch a good amount of the plate too, but because he can work the fastball up, he can get that sinker to drop into the middle or low part of the zone, and, and you know, you're kind of licking your chops because it looks like a 91-mile-an-hour fastball high in the zone, and then it dips on you just a little bit. So uh, that sinker has been hit hard when guys can get a hold of it 315 average and 615 expected slugging on that one this year so it's been hit harder than his straight fastball there's really not a lot of difference between those two pitches um in terms of you know some of the the velocity and movement and spin rate stuff we can dig in on uh it's mostly just the deception thing and, and the not being able to tell which is which out of his hand uh so in addition to those two he'll throw a lot of change-ups to right-handed hitters um, he'll mix in some sliders and then he throws a curveball about 17% of the time. Uh, it's his best swing and miss, miss pitch, but it's also been hit the hardest. So that's kind of a, a trick or treat offering from Cole Irvin. Uh, the Jays have seen him for 38 plate appearances as a team, 343 expected weighted on base average. So nothing too out of the ordinary there. Um, Bo Bichette, Alejandro Kirk, Rymel Tapia, all some success against Cole Irvin in small samples. Uh, but we're talking, you know, a lot of, three and four and five plate appearance samples piled up on top of each other. That's the same thing on the other side where Alec Manoa has faced uh, active A's only 25 plate appearances. Nice 295 expected weighted on base average, a 24% strikeout rate. Uh, Tony Kemp, the only guy who's had any real success against Manoa, three for five with a walk. I mentioned it a couple times today. The Oakland Athletics are the worst offense in baseball over the last 30 days, and they are the second worst offense in baseball on the season against right-handed pitching. So it's a good spot for Manoa, who is sporting a 209 ERA. Um, walks are way down. He's getting over six innings in an average start. His efficiency's up. Um, that Yankees game remains the only start he's had this year with a game score below 50, which is um, baseball references way. Uh, it's their scale of you know, zero to 100, zero being the worst possible start, 100 being a, a perfect game I'd with a lot of strikeouts, I'd imagine, uh, 50 being an average start. So he's only had one below average start, and it was only slightly below average um, given how that one played out. So this is a spot where you're pretty 
confident, I think, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays or, or you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, uh, the market is certainly confident. The Jays are minus 245 favorites, which is extreme. Uh, the over-under is way down at 7.5. If you think this is a good spot for Manoa, but also a good spot for the Jays' bats against Cole Irvin, uh, the Jays' individual team total is 4.5. You could take a look at that. 7.5 uh, is... I don't know. That's a that's one of the most challenging lines is seven and a half when you have one very good starter and one just okay starter. That's uh, a tough one. But minus two forty five is uh, an extreme line, especially on the first game of a of a West Coast road trip. Um, that's a uh, I don't know. I, I've mentioned this on the show a, a bunch of times before. That's a seventy one percent implied win probability. I just don't think that's realistic for most baseball games. So there's not a lot of value there in pure value terms it does suggest though that uh it's not just you as a jays fan that is looking pretty encouraged uh by this matchup and it's it should depending on your confidence in yusei kahuchi and jose barrios carrying over their success from their last starts um that should be the case up against martinez and caprillion uh, later in this series. And again, the A is one of the worst offenses of baseball. Ramon Laureano, the only guy on the team hitting at an above average clip on the season. And he's just barely scraping past it with a 107 WRC plus bad times in Oakland. Uh, Melissa Lockhart gave us quite the rundown of, of what's going on on the Oakland side. They do have some prospects on the way, some former blue Jays prospects they picked up for Matt Chapman and, and other guys as those two teams have circled each other on the trade market multiple times. Uh, so thank you to Melissa for coming on. Thank you to Caitlin McGrath and Ben Schulman for coming on and giving us the Jays side of things coming out of an exhausting weekend. Uh, the Jays take two of five against the Rays. They really need a, a bounce back here. And there's, it feels like Alec Manoa has landed in the bounce back spot a lot this year, which you're fine with that. I, I don't know that there's anyone you trust as much as Alec Manoa when you need a win and no, uh, an early July game against a lowly team like the Oakland Athletics isn't a must win, but you probably want to bounce back on this West Coast trip. You've got three at Oakland and four at Seattle um, before an off your only off day leading into the all-star break. So the times now you got to you're not going to have many more stretches on the schedule where you get a team like Oakland for a couple of days. And even, you know, Seattle is not completely out of it, but they're a sub 500 team as well. So this is seven games in a row against teams that are not as good as you coming off of tough, a tough, tough part of the schedule. So you, you got to make hay while the sun is shining. You got to take a couple off the A's here. Alec Manoa against Cole Irvin. You really like your chances to get the first one uh, tonight. Thanks again to Melissa, Caitlin and Ben for joining us. Uh, ben Wagner has the call for you at nine Oh seven on the sports net radio network. Show Ali has you for Jay's talk post game. Thank you to those guests. Thank you to producer JR and Derek behind the glass. Thank you to you, the listeners. A lot of great questions today in the text. And we'll try to do that a lot more uh, between now and the trade deadline, because I know you guys have takes. I know you guys have targets you want. Uh, Jay's talk plus back tomorrow with Chris Black and Joe Siddle, Dan Zaborski, and we'll have Ben Nicholson Smith in studio. I've been Blake Murphy. This has been Jay's talk plus. On Sports at 590, the fan. Have an excellent Monday.